Hi folks, Jason Crane here reminding you about the 100 by 300 campaign. The idea is to get 100 members by the 300th show. Membership is easy. You can do it in one lump sum each year or month to month for as little as 10 bucks a month or $110 a year. If you choose one of the higher levels, particularly the $500 a year or $50 a month level, you'll be mentioned on every single show. You'll be an official sponsor of the Jazz Session. The 100 by 300 campaign, visit thejazzsession.com slash join to become a member today. Once again, that's thejazzsession.com slash join. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free at TheJazzSession.com, and you can also subscribe in iTunes or using an RSS reader, and you'll find the links to do that at TheJazzSession.com. My guest today is composer and bassist Alexis Quadrado. He has a new CD on BJU Records, part of the Brooklyn Jazz Underground series, which is called Nonetto Iberico, and from it we're going to hear very well. Thank you. 
My guest is Alexis Cuadrado. He has a really fine new album out called Noneto Iberico, and it's my pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks very much for being here. Thanks, Jason. Well, I should thank you in the other direction, actually. Thank you for having me at your house. It's great to uh, of course, always be in a comfortable environment. So uh, the story behind this record, uh, it has both kind of some institutional funding behind it. It has some grassroots funding behind it. And it, it seems like a project that really pulled on a lot of different resources. Can you talk a little bit about how it got off the ground? Uh, well, initially... The, the, the real genesis of the project was a trio that I started years ago and, and with Brad Shepik on guitar and Victor Pieto on drums, uh, on accordion, sorry. And um, then it evolved into a nine-piece band because I had this vision of, of writing all this music based on, on flamenco music and I applied for this grant from Chamber Music America, uh, Chamber Music America and I got it to my surprise. And... It was like, oh boy, now I got into trouble. You know, now I actually do have to do this. So that was the first uh, injection of funding. You know, that they gave, they give you a certain amount for composing the music and a certain amount to to pay for the musicians. But of course, that it ran out immediately because once you go into a recording studio with uh, nine musicians plus three guests, twelve people. Uh, it's it's logistically you know it becomes you have to go to a good studio it becomes it becomes complicated you have sure. to go to a good studio you have to you know document it properly and and you have to pay everyone you have to pay the studio and then you know nowadays uh, with uh, being an independent artist uh, it was it was a rough one so I I took a few hits and but then you know I got recovered a few times too but you know uh, especially at the end. When I had completely run out of funds for it, and I, uh, I did one of uh, these Kickstarter campaigns, completely thinking I was not going to make it, and I actually made it, and I was completely surprised. And that's a, a campaign where people pledge money, but they don't have to pay the money unless you get over whatever your goal That's is right, and it's basically like people are pre-buying the city, sure. you know, or whatever. There's a number of rewards that you can offer, and... You know, I try to be funny and creative and, and, and make it interesting at the same time. And I was actually amazed. The money was great, but it was much better for me to, to interact with a lot of people directly and, um, and, and have the feedback from people um, go directly to me. It was like, you know, definitely cut the middleman there. There's no middleman. So I, I, I enjoyed that. And, and I, I, I feel like the project kind of grew uh, in in its last uh, part, you know, in, grew inside me much better because I felt like I I somehow owed a, a, a you know a good piece of music to these people. So.
can you talk about why you wanted to explore flamenco music? Well, it was kind of like a home away from home thing. I mean, I'm from Barcelona, which is in the northeast of Spain, and and, and I am from a very Catalan uh, background, and um, without going into politics or whatever too much, it's not a, a culture that is connected with flamenco music at all. There is some, and and it's definitely something that I heard when I was a kid, but it's it was I wasn't exposed to it constantly, right? And it was it kind of grew on me gradually, and especially when I was in music school, I started um, seeing a lot of flamenco happening. And I, I met Chano Dominguez, who's a great piano player then, and, and interacted with him a little bit, played, and um, and went to a couple of workshops that he did. And um, when I was in New York, like around five or six years ago, it kind of hit me, you know, and I started, I had a few records, and I heard this one record, and it's like, oh, I need to really learn this. And and it, I just got obsessed with it, and I started buying records buying books, uh, asking people whenever I would go to Spain. I would chase musicians that knew about flamenco. So it became a sort of like a personal quest uh, uh, to find how this music works because it, it's pretty cryptic and, and it's cryptic in a cultural, in a musical way and in a, in a cultural way because the way that the flamenco code, how the musicians speak to each other and so on works is very mysterious and they want to keep it that way. So uh, my goal was to crack that code. I need to figure out how this works, you know, and it, it, it became like a personal challenge. I have very uh, limited experience with flamenco, but um, I used to have a friend who was a, a flamenco guitarist about 15 or 20 years ago who – it always struck me that there was a, a real combination of both uh, folkloric music and incredible precision, that it wasn't uh, – uh, that flamenco had a very defined language and kind of set of – of patterns and expectations, and I'm not sure if that's well. No, it, do, no? it, it uh, sort of. I mean, it does have a very, very specific set of rules, uh, much more so than a lot of music. And 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 some of it is like improvised, but it's like it's a lot. It's similar to Indian music in a way, where like you know they learn this stuff for many years, and since they're kids, and they know their tradition, the, the, the tradition really well, and they've studied like all their um, musical ancestry very, very deeply. So, uh, uh, um, you know, they don't really speak to each other. In a way, it's also similar to jazz musicians. We, you know, we go to a gig and we don't really say anything. Like, we say, okay, let's play a blues. Everyone knows what we need to do. So if they say, let's play a solea, they're just going to ask what key, this, that, whatever, boom. And they're going, you know. And, 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 it's because there is a certain form, there's a certain harmony, there's a certain melody, there's a certain structure, there's a certain uh, uh, arch to the piece that they, they know what to expect. They know a lot more than what they, wanna, they want us to think that, <laughs> that what's happening. So, uh, um, but then, of course, there is a lot of um, spontaneous artistry that happens and that's where you know the duende the magic is when when it happens you know but but in my case it's just i just sort of scratched the surface of all that because if i i realized very quickly that if i wanted to go deep into flamenco i would just have to quit everything and do that so i wasn't also ready to do that
the parenthetical descriptions after each song title on the record. That's the flamenco song form. Correct. Okay. Correct. And and I wanted to do it that way because that's how the traditional flamenco records or, or uh, are 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 done. So that that leads leads me to explain a little bit how how the the record the structure of the record works, which is that each song is based after a flamenco form or or a flamenco song style, and these song styles are called palos. So there's different families of palos and many variations with within each family. Like there are many different variations in the blues or the rhythm changes or whatever. It's very similar. So I what I did is I just tried to learn how each form worked and then try to create something that you know both it both connected the form and my you know my vision of how music uh, this music could be. So so do the palos do they are they descriptive of everything from harmonic structure to form of the piece to right. rhythmic structure? Pretty much, yeah. It's very, it's pretty set. Each palo is pretty set, and there, as I said, there's many variations, but but there are like a a number of like ground rules for each one that you can definitely. I I almost made I made lists of things like this is how it works. This is this this is how this one. Um, functions. This is how is the harmony of this one. This one generally is in this key. This is how these different types of melodies. Like sometimes they are the same melody with a different words. You know. Oh, okay. And and I started like really getting deep into it and like really um, um, trying to understand, like decode each one of the palos. And once I had that, it's like okay, now I have all this raw material. What am I gonna do with it? I, I wasn't pretending to do a flamenco record because that's not what I do sure so I tried to find all this raw material and then transform it into something that the, probably the flamencos are going to say this is not flamenco but you know I don't really care all that much about that right that wasn't your intention that wasn't my intention <laughs> right The musicians that are working with you um, on this record, how how important was it for them to be familiar with these song forms, and how much did that require of you in terms of interpreting the, the forms for them? Well, I felt like my job was to sort of translate it in a way that they didn't have to think about that all that much, because I knew that it would... I mean, I, I wasn't going to like sit them in the classroom format and, and give them a lecture about it. I did give them... Uh, I, I did make made a, a guide with this is how this the, the principal um, kind of bullet point characteristics of each one of the palos and I and I, I think I gave them like four songs of each one of the palos and and like a three page 
sheet that I did explaining how it was like a, a very, very bird's eye view, you know? Sure. Uh, uh, and, but my, one of my, I thought my job as a composer and arranger was to translate that onto the page so that they would just read it and it would sound like that without them have, they probably don't know most of what they're doing in terms of how it relates to flamenco. Right. And, and then the link with flamenco was to bring Perico Sambeat and Mark Miralta, who they do really know how it works, sure. and then bring the flamenco guys for the, for the hand clubs and all that stuff. So. so if we were to go back to the Indian music analogy, um, if, for example, you were to, to use a raga as the source material for a jazz composition, right. that would set a particular scalar pattern and it would set a very specific rhythmic form. And right. so even the improvisation would follow along in those forms to some degree. I wonder how much that would translate into well, this form. It, it, my, my pieces are more abstract than mm, that. Sure. I, I just did not want to follow like so strictly because then I, I, I felt like the, the, you know, there would be a lack on, on the actual flamenco language, which we don't have. So, yeah, in a way, I didn't want to take the exact forms and the exact language because basically we just don't have it. You know, we don't, we're not versed in the flamenco vocabulary and it, it would have been like too ambitious and, and in a way it would have been absurd to try to do that. So uh, uh, I kind of brought it into the jazz territory uh, because also that's what I do. That's how I, you know, that's how I hear music, and and yet there are the elements of the of the flamenco form. Like uh, uh, the first song, for example, is is a fandango, and it has like an introduction which is sort of like um, no time, like rubato free, and that happens in one type of fandango, and then there is a certain harmony with uh, a pretty straight, steady three four beat that happens and I used that harmony and stretched it um, so that it's twice as long. So I basically, you know, destroyed the entire thing. Right. <laughs> but, but, but I did make something that to me had, it, it, the, the source material was used and it became something different. But without that source material, I wouldn't have never been able to do this. So that, that was the sort, sort of the, the, the work ethic, the work premise, you know, that, that's what I was trying to do. You mentioned in the beginning that this uh, album, or the concept of this album, evolved out of a trio that you had that had Brad Chepik in it. And I think his inclusion on um, this uh, record, the inclusion of guitar on the record, mm -hmm. really adds, uh, to me, a, a somewhat surprising sonic character to it that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, and it's not, um, although people associate flamenco with guitar, they don't associate flamenco with guitars. It's played <laughs> on this record, certainly. Right. Uh, and I just, I thought that was a really, a really great sound choice. Well, I mean, uh, it, all my records have a guitar. Yeah. Like I, 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 it's, that's kind of part of my sound as a, as a band. I just like guitar, you mm -hmm. know, and, and because also I, I come from playing in rock bands and pop bands and I need to play with guitar players that can go in that direction in, in a snap, you know? So, uh, uh, Brad or Steve Cardenas, who are the two guitar players that have played in my records, are, are someone who, who can definitely do that. You need to give them much so they they go and rock out immediately. Right. You know? So that's <laughs> that's kind of why I, I I like playing with them, you know, because 
I love how they are as musicians and improvisers, and at the same time, they have that kind of guitar edge, you know, that I, I love. I love that. It's, I love that sound. We should be sure to mention the other people who are on this record. Can you uh, talk? Sure. Um, so this was uh, kind of like a uh, what I call a dream team band for me. It's it was uh, the combination of my regular quartet, which was Brad Shapik, as as we said, Lauren Stillman on alto, and Mark Ferber, who I've played for ten years now with, and 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 he's you know he's a drummer that I, I feel like I have a really strong connection with, and then. Um, um, uh, an obvious choice was Alan Ferber, Mark's brother, who, who in whose band I've played for a number of years too, and who I do have a a good rapport musically and personally. And um, uh, as I mentioned before as well, we had uh, uh, Mark Miralta, who's a percussionist and a fantastic drummer, and Perico Sambeat uh, uh, come from Spain. And Perico and Mark are like, you know, they're the two of the musicians that I really looked up. At when I was a, a music student, you know, when I was a kid, and 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 to have them in my project, is, it's kind of like a dream come true for me, you know. Like they were super cool, and they are like pioneers in this flamenco jazz thing, and and I knew that they would completely understand what I was trying to do, and they they were super supportive, and and they you know basically play amazing in the recording, and then. I needed a trumpet player, so I, I've played with Avishai Cohen a few times, and I really liked, uh, you know, he's. I think he has a pretty unique approach, especially to improvisation, so that's why why I chose him, and, and he was available to do it. And I don't think I'm forgetting. Oh, and then Dan Tepfer, who, you know, he came in very last minute because uh, uh, Victor Prieto, the accordion player, was going to do it, and it was going to have accordion, which now seems unthinkable. <laughs> and... and and then Victor suddenly was not wasn't available to do it, and it's like, oh man, I don't know what I'm gonna do, you know. Um, so, I, I I actually the reason why I asked Dan is because we had played a couple of times, and I thought that we had a really good connection right away, which is not something that happens to me very often, you know. And in in New York, you find so many amazing musicians and people that are kind of like uh, uh, incredible to play with, but there is like a specific kind of immediate connection that you, you felt with people. And I, pretty much everyone who is on this record, I felt that connection with. That's why I'm really happy. And Dan would, I think I had played twice with Dan. And the reason why I called him is funny because I, I went to one of these um, Monday nights that Steve Coleman does at the Jazz Gallery. Right. And I saw Dan there. And I thought, wow, if he is into Steve Coleman and doing crazy stuff with meters and I have a good connection, he's going to be the, the right choice to do this. And I, 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 I had it, I had it right. Luckily he, <laughs> he did an amazing job and I love how, how he plays. And, and then we've played a lot more since then. And it's, it's very, it's very, it's, he's a very unique player.
does accordion now seem unthinkable because you have the sound as it exists? Yeah, and also because it just, I think it would have been too monochrome mm. in a way, you know? It, 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 I like how piano kind of, I mean, piano is also one color, but the accordion is such a specific tone, you know? I think it would have, I, I don't know how it would have sounded, but sure. it, it, the accordion doesn't have the rhythmic power that the piano can have, I think, you know? Uh, um, it would have been great to have them both, perhaps, you know, uh, and have an accordion in a few tunes as a solo, it's just something like that. But perhaps if there is ever a second installment of Noneto Iberico, maybe I'll do that. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> right now. But the first one is enough for now. <laughs> you mentioned that uh, you began writing this music uh, when your twin sons were just a few months old. What was right. that uh, experience like? It was intense because, you know, it was. Uh, uh, I, it's hard to explain. It was like a complete shift in in life, and uh, suddenly I, I don't know why I, I waited. I I got the grant, and then suddenly when when my wife was pregnant, and, and we had a lot to do. I guess I don't remember <laughs> uh, exactly what happened. But the the fact of the matter is that yes, when they were like three months old, that's when I started writing the music, and. I just took it as a job, you know, and, and it was great to have a deadline. It was great to be at home a lot uh, rather than being on the road or or whatever. And, and I think it gave me the opportunity to focus on being a composer full time, which is something that I hadn't really experienced. I had kind of written tunes here and there, you know, but as tunes, but not so much like I'm going to write a big piece that it's like, eight or nine movements and that you know have a concept and a deadline and it, it felt like oh boy now I have to be like a composer and it, it you know it was very challenging did you feel like you were exercising new muscles or something absolutely were, yeah. and I and I felt like it was like learning to play a new instrument mm. that's how it felt like to me towards the end I got much better at it I, I got faster I I kind of had somehow um refined my process of composing and it, it was more like okay it's a switch that you can turn on or off and I would just sit down at the piano and like okay here we go and even if sometimes I would spend like two weeks just writing stuff that was basically not so great and that I threw you know out but but it, it was the constant working on it that, that really helped me uh, um, I think grow as a musician too can you talk about the process of revision during these compositions? How how much did that factor in? Well, I had a list of the like the the styles, the flamenco styles that I wanted to write. I wanted one of these, one of these, one of these, one of that. So that was that was good because it was like at least a point of departure for each piece. Sure. Then, um, you know, I would go into like a lot of listening and transcribing from flamenco records and like kind of um, extracting the elements as I as I mentioned before. And then just, you know, start messing around at the piano and, and start writing down ideas. And I would record myself a lot. A lot of these students were actually composed on electric bass. Oh, wow. I would I would just play or a melody or a pattern or a bass line. Or I have a cajon drum. I would record the cajon or the hand claps and improvise over it. And I just needed like a hook, you know, like to start the song, like a little melody or something that it really grabbed me. And... 
actually recently I re revised all the demos that I did for this because someone asked me to someone for the Kickstarter project wanted to have the demos that was a one of the rewards oh, okay so I had to go back to a hard drive and just listen and I I listened to like six or seven tunes that now I think, oh, this is ugly. I'm happy I never put it in. You know, this is horrible. But I spent, I remember I, I would have, I would spend like sometimes two or three weeks in one of those tunes and it, just to realize that that wasn't it, you know. As you got toward the end, did you find that you were able to look at the things that you had composed toward the beginning of the process with different eyes as you felt like you were kind of working out those, those skills? Well, also the way I worked through it, it was mainly most of the pieces were composed as like just songs, like mm -hmm. a, like a lead sheet type song, like one melody chords and and a rhythm, and and I didn't do the arrangements uh, right away, so I did the songs first and then the arrangements later. That's except f uh, um, with the exception of Por la Minima, which is like a very long uh, piece. It's like eighteen minutes long, or seventeen or something, right. and, and that was composed with the orchestration in mind. Okay. Uh, um, but the, the, yeah, I mean, I had to go back to the initial pieces and review them and, you know, I, I definitely touched them up, but I kind of, one of the things that I think I learned through the process was to, to decide whether something was good or not for me, good enough or not. And, and I, most of what's in the record, it, it, I feel like it was good. You know, sure. So, almost almost everything. Not yeah. everything, but I'm not <laughs> going to tell you what I don't think it's so good. <laughs> um, uh, to step away from the from the record for a minute, can you talk about uh, the Brooklyn Jazz Underground and tell folks uh, what that is? Sure. Well, we're a collective of a few musicians that we started five years ago doing. Um, you know, initially we started trying to get our names out there a little bit more and get more opportunities, create more opportunities for ourselves. And we thought of doing so collectively rather than individually because it would be uh, easier, you know. And and it evolved into a group of, of like-minded creative band leaders, composers, musicians. And we're now um, doing more kind of community activities, um, organizing some festivals. We organize a jazz series uh, in Didmas Park, our, uh, the neighborhood where most of us live. And it's, you know, it's, it's a curated series. It's open to, um, to musicians that are not in the collective. So it's not for our own uh, interest only. You know, we've, we've created a record label. I think we have 20-something CDs out. And we've opened it up to musicians that are not in the collective too. So we just kind of um, working towards creating awareness of the creative music that happens in Brooklyn. Basically, that's it. Thank you. 
given you a different perspective on the uh, presentation of music, the promotion of music, that kind of thing, since you've been involved in the collective? Well, it has all of us. It has made all of us be more involved in the business aspect of. of it's more the do-it-yourself kind of thing, you know. As I was mentioning, also with the fundraiser of the CDs, like we are on our own, you know. And right. also because of the demise of the music industry, like who <laughs> knows what the hell is going to happen with all this, you know? But I mean, it, it, it is a kind of a compromise, and it's a catch-22 because if, I, I would like to have someone work do all this work for me of sure. course and, and but but I feel like if I don't do it nobody's gonna do it for me you know and and I like to be the owner of my music I like to be you know the the decider of what I do <laughs> uh, with it you know and and don't have to give explanations to anybody and it's either my mistake or you know my you know the thing that I did right. So, and and I think it applies to the to the collective as well. You know, which is try to decide things that are going to be good for all of us. And, but but it, it, you know, it's in, in in a way it has an altruistic element. You know, because we kind of we bring in a lot of other musicians that are not in the collective, and, and we're happy to do that because I, I mean I think that we're just a few of the many many amazing creative minds um, in the jazz world in, in Brooklyn. You know? Sure, it's, it's a pretty incredible um, place to be for that. We were talking a little bit before the interview about uh, the impact of uh, being a dad now and, and how that's uh, changed or sharpened your focus as, as an artist. I wonder if you could say a little bit about that, what your experience has been like. Well, it basically comes down to um, you don't have as much time and the time that you have, you really have to use it. So I feel like I am a lot more focused just because of that. Right. It's as simple as that, you know. When, I mean, I, 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 I realize that I have more of a choice. If I choose to watch a movie rather than composing a song or practicing or, you know, doing something, I will enjoy that movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's like, okay, I'm fine with this, so... I, I wish I, I would have used my time a little better in the past, but it's also cool, you know. It's yeah. Like it's 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 how life is, and life has this is the phases. moment to to do this, and it's fantastic. I'm really happy about it. Have you thought at all, or or maybe you've already had this experience about your relationship as a musician to your own children, uh, kind of how music informs their world or, or uh, impacts their world? Well, I guess so. I mean, it's now they know that Papa plays bass, and this is a big bass and this is the small bass and this is the guitar and this is the piano and I mean we have all the instruments here you know except for the winds but and we're listening to music all kinds of music all the time you know like kids music and John Coltrane and Indian music and flamenco and classical and the Beatles and everything you know and they just they just take it all in they love it and I mean I, I don't know I, I guess that's what it is it's what's, yeah. that's what home is for them you know, the same way with art or drawing or, you know, whatever. You know, my wife does a lot more of, of, of that other stuff. So I don't think we try to force anything on them, basically. Yeah. I, I don't I don't have a plan. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you have to come up with it. But I just want them to be healthy and eat good food and be happy, you know. Yeah. That's all I care about. <laughs> it seems like that's a pretty uh, a pretty great environment for them to grow up in however much of a struggle it may seem like from your end and your wife's end as their parents, but just being surrounded by 
by such a diverse amount of culture it seems like a great, yeah great i'm sure and and also you know the languages i speak catalan and spanish and and you know we skype a lot with my family and they you know they get to interact with them a lot and they don't know that they're doing something different than the other kids which right. is great you know and that's yeah i love it well, that's really cool are there some uh, upcoming events uh, in new york or elsewhere that you'd like to talk about well yeah definitely um we have the CD release party for the Noneto Iberico CD, and that's on March 25th and 26th at uh, the Jazz Gallery of 2011. Right. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> in case you're listening this some other year in the 30 future. 30 years from now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and unfortunately not all the musicians in the record can be there, but um, I have a great band, and we're going to do two days of rehearsals, because the music is pretty hard to play. Now I started looking at it again after like almost a year of not playing it, and it's like, oh boy, <laughs> you know, I have to play this again. I better start practicing. Even it, the composer so. has to. Uh, do oh some man, it's actually <laughs> really hard as a composer. You know, it's very. Uh, I mean, I tr always try to give myself a hard time playing, like, like you know, writing some music that's in a key that's hard for me, or like in a mode that I don't know that well so I can or in a meter that I'm not so familiar with so that I can improve my musicianship by by playing that composition but this man this totally <laughs> this totally got me you know like I finished the arrangements like two weeks before we started the rehearsals and then we did a couple of readings and I touched them up and and I had like a week to learn all this music as a player so I, I wish I had more time, you know, because it was I. I barely feel. I felt like I barely made it, to be honest. So. Yeah. Well, my guest is Alexis Cuadrado, and he has a, a really great new record that I highly recommend called Doneto Iberico, and uh, it's really great to talk to you and to meet you. Thanks a lot for being on the show. Thank you so much, Jason. It's been my pleasure. That's music from Alexis Quadrado and his CD Noneto Iberico. 
on the Brooklyn Jazz Underground Records label. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free in iTunes and at TheJazzSession.com. And at TheJazzSession.com, you can also become a member, and I hope that you will. We've got about two dozen members, and we need to get to 100 by the 300th show, and that's only about 50 shows away. And uh, the pace has slowed down a little bit, so I really need you to become a member, and please support The Jazz Session to keep these interviews coming. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for uh, their contribution to the show. They're going to be at the BAM Cafe in Brooklyn on Saturday, March 26th. It's a free show, I believe, at 9 p.m., uh, and you can find out more at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the show's logo and who tweets at twitter.com slash Dave Vrabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. Now get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.